God has a history of providing food for Gentile women in the region of Tyre and Sidon, the place where he goes down to today in the gospel reading. If you remember back to that story in the kings of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, the widow who had a son and they were all out of food. All they had was just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left and they were preparing to eat their last meal so that then they could go and die because they were all out of food and there was a drought. And Elijah came to that house and he said, prepare for me a little cake, prepare for me a little food. And the woman thought he was crazy, but he said, this is the Lord's command and she did it. And yet the flour did not run out and the oil of the jug of oil did not run dry until it rained again in that place. She was a Gentile woman, that is a Gentile region, Tyre and Sidon, where Zarephath was in the Old Testament. And so God does provide for these Gentiles throughout history. Here and there, there are these little stories, like the story of Rahab or the story of the widow at Zarephath. But by and large, if you look at the Old Testament, it is mostly not, of course, about Gentiles. It is focused on the people of Israel and the people of Judah, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob himself, who is named Israel, and all of his children make up the tribes of Israel. That's who the story is focused on. And during that story, during that time, those people are often disappointing to God, often going astray often going and trying to be like the Gentiles, like the other nations. But yet, often, some of them, a faithful remnant, often coming back to God and repenting. And that is the story of the Old Testament. Israel and Judah going astray, coming back again when God punishes them, all to bring about Israel made one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And so it is always a little surprising when the widow of Zarephath happens. And it should not surprise us whenever Jesus is walking through Tyre and Sidon that he is focused on a certain people, his people, the people of Abraham, the people who received originally the promises. They were the ones who received the promise of Adam. They were the ones who received the promises of Abraham. They were the ones who received the promises of Jacob. They were the ones who received the law of Moses. They were the ones who received the sacrificial system to be carried out in the temple by the priests. They were the ones who God chose to bring about his own son, the Christ. And so it should not surprise us that when Jesus comes, he's focused on this people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There is an order to the salvation of the world. Of course, the salvation of the world is in God's mind from the beginning, but there is a certain way it is brought about. He uses Abraham's descendants to bring about Jesus. And Paul himself tells us in Romans 1, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, of course. 
But it is first given to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. First to the Jews and then to the Greeks. And so when Jesus comes in Matthew 15, and there is a Gentile woman crying out to him, have mercy on me, son of David, he ignores her. And it sounds harsh, and it seems harsh, that he does not speak to her a word. A lot of his ministry has been going around healing people, anyone who comes up to him, healing them of their dreadful diseases. And the disciples, you can tell, expect this to happen again. They say, Jesus, send her away. She's crying out after us. I think they just mean, why don't you just go ahead and heal her? Why why aren't you doing what you normally do, Jesus? But he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this idea, as kind of harsh and as foreign to us as it may seem, because we are used to being the Gentile church, we are mostly all here, I think, Gentiles, ethnically speaking, that is, non-Jews. It is actually a reasonable idea. It is an idea, ethically, that has been carried out throughout Christian history. The idea that you would care about your people first before going to help others. It's not that you don't want to help other people, but that you would have your people that are closest to you that you would have responsibility for and care about first. Let's just give a little bit of a hypothetical so you can think about this in kind of ethical terms. That if you were in a burning building with lots of people, but you were there with your children, you would try and save your children first before going off and helping someone else. It's not that you wouldn't want to help those other people, but there is an order in which you help people. And that has to do, as we Lutherans like to talk about, with the idea of vocation, that God has put you in certain places in life where you have certain responsibilities to those who are closest to you. You have a responsibility to your father and your mother that you don't have a responsibility for for someone that lives in Iowa. You have a responsibility for your children that you don't have a responsibility for for other people's children. It is a fairly simple idea. It is built into creation in a sense. And so it does make sense that God goes in order when he brings about the salvation of the world. You can see how Paul also cares about his people so much when he talks about what is Israel in Romans 9. At the beginning of Romans 9, Paul is grieving over the fact that his people, the Jewish people, have by and large forsaken Christ and disregarded him as the Messiah. He even says, if it were up to me, I would go to hell if all of them could be saved. That's how much he cares about his own people, is that he would go to hell if all the rest of the Jews could be saved. That's what Paul says. Now, interestingly, also in Romans 9, Paul redefines the word Israel. He says, you think Israel... And you think about the ethnic descendants of Abraham and the ethnic descendants of Jacob, who is named Israel. We heard about that in the Old Testament reading. But I tell you that Israel is not about bloodline. I tell you, Israel is the people who have faith in Christ. The true Israel is the Christian church. 
Abraham was a Christian. Isaac was a Christian. Jacob was a Christian. And anyone who's still a Christian, that is someone who has faith in Christ for the salvation of their sins, faith in the Messiah for the forgiveness of their sins, that is Israel. And so when we think about the lost sheep of the house of Israel and we think about caring for our people, not that we don't want to care for other people, but caring for our people, as Jesus himself is a little bit focused on when he comes into the world, we can also think about our lost sheep of our house of Israel. For we are, according to Paul now, the house of Israel. And we do also have lost sheep. There are people who should be sitting in the brown chairs next to you. There are people who live here, who live in Olive Branch, who are not here today, who are our lost sheep. You may have family members you know who were raised in the church. Maybe they were even confirmed as an LCMS Lutheran, and they are not at church today, or maybe they're at a different church, that would be a little bit better. There are people who live next door to us who are our people, who are our lost sheep, who are our lost sheep of the our house of Israel. And it's not that we don't care about others. It's not that we don't want to take the gospel to the nations, as Jesus also commands, But we should not be so quick to go and run off to places in far off lands, to places in Africa or in Eastern Europe or in Asia or wherever it may be, and just forget that there are people next door. Forget that there are people whose names are in the contact list on our phone, whose numbers we have, who we could call any day. We have lost sheep of our house. And I think we have a couple tendencies in the church today that maybe we could just think about in this regard a little bit. One is to think that we're doing just fine the way we are. And that to go and preach the gospel, it should naturally be to people who we've never met. That if we're going to go and do evangelism, then it should be to people who are complete strangers to Christianity. And somehow in that we've kind of lost that there are people who are lost sheep of our house. But I want you to think about actually how much easier it should be in theory to not have to go and build a relationship with someone you've never met, maybe who speaks a language that you don't speak when you could evangelize to, when you could witness to, when you could talk about the gospel with someone who is of your people, of your culture, who speaks the same language you do, who, like I said, you could send a text to right now. Think of how much, in a way at least, it is easier to start with that, if you will, low-hanging fruit when it comes to witnessing Christ. The people who are next door to you, the people who you already know and already have a relationship with. All witnessing starts with good relationships. So why don't we start with the good relationships that are already in place? The second tendency I think that we 
have in this regard is that we think if we lose someone that is our people, that if one of our children or if one of our brothers or if one of our neighbors grew up in church or was in church and then they leave, then there's absolutely no hope that they must be lost forever, that there's no way that they're ever going to come back again. We might as well just pray for them and then forget about it, but it's probably not going to happen. But I want you to think about Paul himself. He was a Jew. He was one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In fact, he did reject the Messiah. He hated Christians and he tried to persecute them and did persecute some of them. He was there even at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. But Paul came back. Paul repented. Paul saw Jesus for the Messiah, who he had learned about from the Old Testament scriptures. And so if someone like Paul can come back, I think anyone can come back. God desires not the death of sinners, but that they repent from their ways and turn and live. And so I'll give a little bit of practical advice in this regard, if you don't mind. It's also a plug for my article in the newsletter this month, The Messenger, where I list, because we're thinking about evangelism right now as a church, there's a list of like, I think it's 10 things, it's kind of a clickbait title, 10 things you can do to witness Christ this month. And there's two of them that, not in any particular order, but two of them that do deal with reaching out to our lost sheep. One is, do you have a family member who was raised in the church but doesn't come anymore? Next time you talk to them, no pressure, you don't have to go call them right away. Next time you talk to them, have a conversation with them about the gospel doesn't have to be too intense. Just tell them something about Jesus in your life. Just talk to them about the gospel. You don't have to even ask them to come to church right away. If that's too much, I understand these things. Take time. Just have a conversation. Another one, think if someone think of someone you haven't seen in church in a while and just call them. Write them. Send them a text. Just tell them that you're missing them and that you love them and that you're praying for them. Two simple things you can do, maybe this week, to think about your people, your lost sheep. And what's interesting as we go on in this story, I don't want to forget about the rest of the reading, is that this is exactly what the Canaanite woman was doing. The Gentile woman was caring for her lost sheep. She had come to know the gospel. She had come to have faith in Christ. She had recognized Jesus as the son of David who could have mercy on her. And at the same time, she had a daughter, one of her people, her own daughter, who was oppressed by a demon. And she put those two things together and realized there's only one thing that can help my daughter, and that is Jesus Christ, the one who forgives sins. And so she was persistent in seeking out that Christ for her people. And we can learn from her today. One, also how to continue loving our own 
people, our brothers and sisters. And two, how to receive the blessings from Christ, both inside and outside the house of Israel. And it all comes down to faith. That is what Jesus said to her. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you have believed. And it's easy enough to say faith. Faith is trust in Jesus. Oh, I trust in Jesus. Lots of people say they trust in Jesus. But notice the kind of faith that she had, the nature of the faith that she had. It was faith showing itself to know the promises, to know what Jesus had promised for his people. Because even when he ignores her and even when he insults her, testing her, he says to her, I don't want to take the children's bread, the promises I gave to Israel, and throw it to the dogs, calling her a dog. This was not the age of fur babies, by the way. Dog was an insult. Dogs were feral back then. It's not good to give the children's bread and throw it to the wild animal. He called her that. Her faith still knew that Jesus was merciful. It still clung to the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus could bring despite all of that. It wasn't just a, oh, yeah, I trust in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. It was faith that trusted in Jesus even when Jesus himself was testing her and pushing her to her limits. He did not immediately heal her because he wanted to see her faith grow. He wanted to see her faith pushed to the limits, even if it was in a crass way. But she knew he was the son of David. She knew he was the son of God. She knew that he would have mercy on her and her daughter. And she was going to hold him to his promises. God wants us to hold him to his promises. And in one of the most clever and maybe even comedic responses that we get to Jesus in the gospel, he said, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She turns the phrase on Jesus himself, but he show, she shows her great faith, her faith knowing that even just a little bit of Jesus' mercy. Yes, Jesus, I know you came for your people, but I just need a little bit of that for my people, and that will be enough for me. It will be enough for my daughter. It will be enough for all Gentiles for the rest of time. That's how great your mercy is. And so, dear saints, when you are caring for your lost sheep of your house of Israel, when you are caring for and witnessing to and talking to and praying for the people who should be in the brown chairs next to you, have faith like this woman's faith. It may seem at times like God has rejected them, It may seem at times like God has even ignored you, ignored your lifelong prayers. It may seem at times like he's trying to walk past you and other people are saying, but God, what about them? Don't they need your help too? And he's walking past. But 
keep the faith. You are Israel. You have been given the promises of both the Old and the New Testament. You have the knowledge of Jesus in your hearts. You have been given that gospel that is the power to save both to the Jew and to the Greek. You have been baptized. You have received from this altar the crumbs of God's mercy, his own body. And that is enough. It is, in fact, more than enough because his mercy His compassion, his grace, his salvation is so great. And yes, he may be testing you, but be persistent. Be persistent in prayer and be persistent in receiving his mercy yourself. Because as you receive his mercy and as your cup is filled up, it will overflow to those who need it. God will put them in your life. And he loves you, and he loves them too. Yes, he came first to his people, but then he went to the entire world. He came to his people, but then he came into your heart, and he came to you, and he can go to others too. And if it's God's will, he will save them, and he will bring them back here. And may he say on that day, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire, and they are healed instantly. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.